Tech Talk. Hi, I'm Johnny Kaplan. And I'm Jesse Katz. And you're listening to the Tech Talk podcast series. Episode seven has some really, really cool guests that are going to blow your mind. First up is REST AR, developers of this 3D scanning technology for food and restaurants and menus and much more. They started it off with the food industry because they know that a menu is not sufficient to choose your food, but you should see a 3D hologram. You should be able to spin it. You should be able to see people's reviews. You should be able to order before you even get there. You should be able to pay before the waiter comes over. All these crazy cool features that they've developed and they're using this 3d scanning technology for many other applications second up is dr rafi oelli of urban aeronautics the modern day howard hughes with his flying cars and taxis and we're going to see his workshop and listen to how he broke through the challenges to develop this incredible technology and last up is nimrod ron from iron systems who has his fire resistant micro-sized toughened drones for emergency first responders these are incredible and again mind-blowing technology so simple so effective but this is really your transformers of the future (laughs) so let's jump right in let's go to meet with bar and his team from rest ar all right let's do it Hi, Bar. Great to see you again. Good to see you. So, tell us a little bit about this amazing technology that you have. Me and my co-founders love restaurants. Every time that we went to a restaurant, we found very difficult to, to choose the dish. We came up with the idea to create something more visual and also uh, that will help us to choose a better dish. And we came up with RestAR. We have created a smart, personalized augmented reality menu. The chef or the restaurant owner can take photos even with his phone. And then we create from this a very high quality dish. And now we are working on new product that will allow everyone to take few images inside our app and it will automatically create their 3D dish. Amazing. It's also translating the menu to more than 70 languages automatically. So it's very popular in tourism places. If you have some dietary restrictions or allergy, you can just choose that gluten-free dishes. And also I like to eat a lot. So tell us a little bit about the company itself. Okay, so uh, we are three founders. We self-funded so far. Um, My co-founders and me uh, founded a few companies before, some of them acquired. I was a team leader in the army in some classified computer units. My co-founder Shimon was team leader at uh, Intel. And Danny founded a company that creates $1 million per month in revenue, acquired as well. And we are 15 team members. You're not just an app, right? As I understand, it's the technology that you have there behind the the, the app that really works, which is the core of the system. Yes, we saw that big companies like Amazon and Google trying to do this uh, on e-commerce. In the near future, like uh, all the big tech companies said, photos will just not be enough. So we need to create new experiences, especially for the millennials. I think everyone should go forward to, the, to this new zone of augmented reality. So augmented reality, 
um, is the equivalent of virtual reality, but virtual reality has a closed 3D world. Yeah. And augmented reality is the mixture of 3D objects inside the real world. Yes. This makes a lot of sense. When you go to the restaurant, the, the more that you can sell to the client, the more that you can show to them to give them a complete understanding of what they're going to receive, the better satisfied they're going to be, the, the, you know, the quicker they're going to order, the faster they're going to come back. So. Also the feedback that we get from the restaurants and the diners are great. The next stage is to expand as much as we can. So how did you like that? I mean, those 3D menus were so cool, right? I mean, seeing the food up front and close like that is unbeatable. I mean, I, I couldn't order. They're going to put Instagram food pages out of business. I will salivate over different dishes and different foods just looking at them on my screen. So mm -hmm. to see them in 3D, <laughs> I think it's almost like the foreplay to your experience of eating in the restaurant, Correct. if that's even a thing. I mean, it really, I think that it can really perk your appetite. That's really the point. I think they found that menus were just not effective. They were too 2D. I mean, if the pictures were old or you didn't really get to see them. Yeah. So this is really a 3D lifelike size picture. Yeah, and you know what, Johnny, I'll tell you a little secret. Sometimes when I read menus, I don't really know what a dish is. Like, and mm -hmm. don't make fun of me, but I don't know what Ratatouille is. I know it's a movie. I don't know what the dish looks like. So maybe I would love it. But when I go to a restaurant, I'm not always looking to take a chance on something that I may or may not like. If I saw a photo of it and I said, oh, that's Ratatouille. Then, 100%. you know, who knows? I, I may I may be like, oh, that's that is the food that I've been missing out on my whole life. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's, you know, if you've never had it before, you don't know what it's called. There's a first time for everything. So I think that that's also really it plays a big part in knowing what you're ordering. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I've been in a restaurant. I've been like, you know, what is that veal milanese? I mean, how do you meant to know what these names are? What uh, is uh, milanese? What is yeah, it? Yeah, because somebody else ordered it. And I was like, what is that? Like, that sounds so exotic. And it was basically just kind of like a breaded steak. It was like a steep fried steak. But had I seen that, you know, I would have understood it. It could potentially be something that somebody ordered, but without knowing what it is, you're 100% right. And this really helps. And, it, and like I said, rather than a dated 2D picture, this is really touching, feeling, seeing the size of it, seeing what the plate looks like. It, it's unbeatable. Exactly. You know, another thing that I like is that sometimes you go to a restaurant and you are expecting one thing and you get another thing. <laughs> and I'm talking specifically about the portion size. If I go to a restaurant and I'm ordering an appetizer, I want an appetizer. What I don't want is one measly bite, but I also don't want it to be a huge dish because I wanted it to be an appetizer, an appetizer, tease my <laughs> appetite. Then I want my main dish. So really to know the portions of what you're getting, I think is also a really big factor here. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So next up is Dr. Rafi Ueli. As I said, our modern day Howard Hughes, a great inventor, somebody who's lived the dream for 30 years. He still hasn't reached the peak of his venture, which is commercializing these amazing flying drones, flying cars, flying taxis, just incredible, incredible technology, incredible innovation. He's developed the only NATO registered rescue vehicle that can rescue into perilous locations. There are locations where a helicopter can't fly into, the rotors are too big, it's too dangerous. He has developed a lightweight autonomous device. You can fly in without a pilot. You can go rescue people. And from that, he got to the commercial 
flying cars and flying taxis, which we'll hear about in the interview now. That is so amazing. Could you imagine going to save somebody from a burning building without having to risk another human life? I don't want this to sound morbid, okay? But 9-11, right? Where you had people stuck on the top floors. Imagine you could get a rescue vehicle up there to the people that are stuck. I mean, this could really change the course of everything of what we're doing. It's funny you said that because that's one of his inspirations was actually they have a diagram of if these drones were available during 9-11, you know, how many lives they could have saved because it was an impossible environment for a helicopter to come and save anyone, but they could have used these. So you, you touched on a really, really important, pertinent point. Yeah, but so this could really change the course of our present, of what we're living in today. I'm super excited. Let's go and fly straight into Dr. Yoeli's workshop. Let's do it. Tell us a little bit about Urban Aeronautics and, and how you came about it. The company was uh, started almost 20 years ago uh, with a wish to build a flying Jeep. We were building the world's first commercial air taxi. This is, this is the Cormoran, and you can see a big, uh, a big door. There's a big, big cargo compartment here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's where the engine is. This engine can already work on hydrogen. Hydrogen is already 60 times more powerful than batteries. What I'm proud of is that apart from the engine and the uh, electronic hardware itself, we're doing everything on this aircraft. We work with the Israeli electric company. That's how we got more and more involved in helicopters and vertical flight. And that's where I discovered a fantastic world, uh, uh, which suffered from just one thing, this, this huge overhead rotor that is the number one cause of accidents. Now, as you can see also here, we've been working with NATO. I did see that. On, uh, actually, NATO recognized that we are the first vehicle in the world that is probably good enough to actually evacuate wounded. This aircraft is flown by, uh, you know, ready. Uh, next, there's an emergency landing button here if there's a problem. If you're on the ground and you're placing a marker, it could be a, a chem light, it could be a flare. Uh, the aircraft can fly also without GPS uh, to the area and it spots your flare and lands on top of it. If it should happen that uh, a propeller should fail or anything should fail, because we don't have an overhead rotor, we can put an, a rocket-deployed parachute and get the whole aircraft down safely to the ground, uh, which you cannot do with a helicopter because of the rotors. So again, things work for us by having the lift rotors inside the fuselage. It's really not easy to take a large helicopter rotor and condense it and still keep the, the, the same amount of lift and be able to carry the same amount of payload and range and speed as a small helicopter, but in a package in the size of a car. We've had uh, approaches from nuclear plants asking us, can we fly into a damaged nuclear plant with this aircraft? And this opened up the possibility to fly into a street where there's a dirty bomb or any kind of device in Homeland Security that you want to decontaminate or disassemble. And yes, it can operate inside a compound or an area where there's hazardous material and so on. One company told us 
that it's losing a lot of business with their Medivac helicopters because they cannot land in many places that there are accidents because of their big rotor. They cannot fly on days when there's icing conditions, which is 20% of the year. We didn't know that. Now we can fly in icing conditions. We can bring a huge amount of more business for Medivac helicopters. This cannot be a toy. This cannot be something experimental. This has to pass all the rigorous uh, checks of the FAA to existing standards and so on and so forth. You know, we've done so many things and we've had so much fun and we've tried everything and now we really want to do something that can really be out there in a few years and do the job. Now, this is our second aircraft that, that we're constructing. It's not complete yet. One of the reasons that this aircraft is possible is the weight of the structure. Hold this for a minute. This wow. is a piece of structure of the aircraft. So it's that's like a, like, a, like a blade of uh, grass that's or something. Carbon fiber, very, very lightweight structure, very strong. If you look at drones around us and, and vertical takeoff drones, they started off carrying just themselves and uh, transitioned into GoPro cameras and so on. Some of them can, can now carry a small parcel and the larger ones can carry a little more. We're going to 500 kilos. In order to go into a damaged nuclear compound and actually hover there for two hours with telepresence, which would have maybe a virtual reality set on the operator's uh, eyes and the pilot flying this vehicle through, through the, an opening in the wall and just hovering there for, for an hour or two and fixing a leak uh, you need a, a toolbox. You need, you need to be able to carry uh, all the robotic arms and everything. If you want to put a fire out in a high-rise, uh, you need some uh, fire retardant material. And we're talking about hundreds of kilos. So we're really targeted to that. Helicopters can carry that, but it has this huge 12-meter rotor overhead and the tail rotor that doesn't enable it to go into all the relevant places where it's needed. You could have saved countless lives, thousands of lives in 9-11, for instance, if this vehicle was ready and available and they were in New York City and you could fly up to the high rise and effectively people could jump out and get on top of it. Right. You would have been able to save lives, you know, as much as the vehicles and, can get up there and get down. And, 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 and many so other disaster zones. Of course, this is first and foremost a rescue vehicle. This is not a military-oriented company. Uh, yes, we have a few generals, but uh, we also have uh, a few uh, aerospace industry leaders and pioneers in themselves. And, and it's really the, uh, the success of this team that at the end of the day uh, is what counts. Absolutely. So this is a piece of magnesium. We can hold that. You'll also be surprised that this oh, is that not really isn't heavy. as heavy okay. as it looks. Yeah. No, no, no. So this yeah, is magnesium. It should be a lot heavier. This is magnesium, which is the standard metal for gearbox casing. Uh, this is the main gearbox that we have, and this is the shaft to our propellers. So we're designing everything in-house. What are really the next steps for the company? There's a lot of interest in our unmanned aircraft. In parallel, we want to start investing in our air taxi. Uh, we're stressing uh, noise uh, very much. We'll be you know, a block away, we'll blend into the city traffic noise and so forth. So when I was a little boy, flying cars and Robots that could think for themselves were really just fictional characters and the future is really here because things it are is. changing very quickly. It is, it is, absolutely, yes.
Wow, so that was amazing. I just can't believe how lightweight these planes are. I don't know what to call them. Planes, helicopters, rescue vehicles. So cool. <laughs> you know, revolutionary design. So lightweight. The fact that it can be flown remotely, autonomously. I love these. I think this guy is a great benefit and merit to the world that he's been working so hard on this product that he's going to change the course of our future. I think it's amazing. I can't wait to see what the future will look like. <laughs> We're almost there. Our last guest is Nimrod Ron from Iron Systems, developers of these transformer-like toughened drones that will fly into chaotic situations, fires, disaster zones where a first responder might harm himself. So they built these toughened drones that don't melt. They don't fall out of the sky at the first sign of water or fire or wind, but they found a unique way of developing them to be very strong that they can fly into these situations and then give a pair of eyes to the first responder via camera, via audio feed to fly in and find out exactly what's going on so they can protect their lives. That's amazing. That's really, really incredible. Yeah. And he's a great entrepreneur. Again, he was in the military for a number of years. You can see he's a very regimented and trained guy, very intelligent. And he's actually used that knowledge that he developed in the army to put that into mainstream products that can help us in real life situations. Incredible. All right. I'm so excited to see this now. Yep. Let's go see him. So inspiring. Very exciting space that you're in. Uh, rescue drones or assistant to safety personnel. Tell us a little bit about the story. So in 2015, it was three years after I completed my service in Sheldag in the Israeli Special Forces. I got called as part of my uh, reserves duty uh, to secure the Israeli search and rescue that were sent to Nepal after the massive earthquake there. We entered hundreds of buildings that were in high risk of collapsing only to see if there is anything, anyone inside and the question I kept asking myself is why isn't there any platform that will allow me, allow us, to get a better understanding of what is happening inside instead of us risking our lives. We don't want the trained personnel will get in the building in order to understand what is happening inside. We don't want them to risk themselves unless there is a need to do that. I mean, if we'll get into a building and we'll see there is a survivor in room A, we'll know to go to room A, but we'll skip over the room B, C, D, etc., etc. We'll Correct. just... I mean, instead of 10 firefighters that get into a building, we're able to send two or three. We saved um, the risk of seven of them. Our drone is the only drone that is capable of transmitting a live video feed from inside the building to a safe outdoor location. Any other drone in the market um, will lose communication the minute he passes concrete walls. Whilst they seem very simple, um, we know that you've developed them in a, in a very ingenious way. So any other drone, for example, um, the DJI, the Mavic, which is an amazing drone uh, for outdoor scenarios, uh, for photography, uh, etc. Once it's above 40 degrees, it won't be able to operate. Uh, once it's under zero degrees, it won't be able to operate. If we want to fly it in New York in the winter, we won't be able to do so. If we want to fly it in Texas in the summer, it won't be able to do so. We're able to fly inside um, floors with smoke, for example. Um, and it can get up to 80, 90, 100 degrees. 
They very much remind me of the Transformers um, movies because you see that the robots and the autonomous devices, I mean, although it's a fictional story, they're always in these war environments or shooting or falling in the water or uh, things are blowing up next to them. Now, realistically, if I tried to fly our drone in that environment, it would just fall out of the sky or lose communication or return to base. It wouldn't be able to operate under those uh, conditions. So it's really amazing that you're getting to the stage of designing these autonomous devices that are able to go into such high-risk areas and still be able to channel this communication. So tell me how you actually came up with the idea. You told me about the unit that you were in, and I understand that, but how do you actually form a co commercial venture? Um, I think that because in Israel you have, the, um, you have like the duty service, you have to serve in the military, when you're... 18 to 22, you don't think much. You don't think about other solutions that can be uh, good for the soldier. But when I arrived to Nepal, I was in the middle of the law degree and my MBA. Um, and I think that I learned how to think. Uh, and once we got into this, those scenarios and we get into buildings, um, I thought, why isn't there anything that will provide us this information? And then I met the other co-founder, I met Niv we realized that there are a lot of uh, technological challenges here. And this is the way we started. I mean, I didn't know what is the right path to go. I did a lot of mistakes. I'm still doing a lot of mistakes. But we bring a good solution to the market, so. Fantastic. It's very admirable. So how does the future look for Iron? Because we work like any other startup. We're trying to hit the milestones. We get grants from uh, Ministry of Defense all around the world. Our main market is in the United States. Uh, we're working with a few clients in Israel as well because it's good to say that Israeli police and Israeli firefighters are using your products and it's close to us, so it's very easy. Um, it's not easy, it's, it's less difficult, I'll say. I'm sure when you implement the product in real fire stations around the world, especially in North America, that you'll have other countries banging on the door saying we want this solution. Effectively, compared to the salary, equipment, and the life of, uh, of service personnel, somebody who's trained and experienced and has a family, the cost of a drone, even if a few thousand dollars, it's certainly a more cost-effective solution and a better ethical solution. Every, every sale is an emotional sale. When I bring my story to the chiefs of the fire and police department in the United States, I tell my story and I know what it's like to risk your lives. If you don't have to do it, you don't need to do it. I mean, it's nothing compared, like the prices of it, it's nothing compared to human lives. And this is our approach in terms of marketing. We see some of the drones here on the table. Whilst they look very simple, I mean, this is one of the Tech Talk drones that we've, we've bought to compare, but if you just lift up your, your, one of your smaller uh, drones, very, very small in comparison. This already is a small drone and very compact drone that will fold uh, down to a certain size, right? It will fold in. But, you know, firstly, this is quite heavy in, its, uh, in, in weight. This is very, very light. The rotors are uh, on the inside here. If this takes a knock on the wall, it's protected on the sides, whereas this takes a knock, it will be out of the sky. So. Already you can see some design changes here that, 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 that shows the difference. But the size is incredible. I mean, this really is a small device. Fits in the palm of my hand. The size of it, I mean, those are two completely, I mean, they're, they're completely different. Um, once you operate in indoor environments, you need a whole different system. But this is very different. This is going in to give 
like you said, emergency services, a, an extra eye in the sky for a, a, a time-sensitive and life-threatening uh, scenario. So it's a very, very different purpose. These are generally fun, semi-professional mm -hmm. uh, devices, where this is really an uh, emergency device. Exactly. So, for example, the, the difference between them, we wanted it to be as simple as possible. We realized that they have problems with human resources, and they don't want to send firefighters or police officers outside of their unit for um, a one week of training. So we're developing the most intuitive operation system that we can ever think of. The firefighter or the police officer only have forward, backward, left, right. I mean, it doesn't need to deal with anything else except of the mission itself. Amazing stuff. What was your biggest challenge creating this? Challenges are every day. Um, Welcome to startup life. Exactly. Um, I think, I mean, I didn't come from a background of drones. I'm not an engineer. I had companies before, but never startups. This is my first startup. I mean, to realize how to opt, like what to do in the beginning, to understand the right path, this is the most challenging thing uh, for me. Um, Niv, my CTO, will tell you other things probably related to the technology behind it. Mm -hmm. And he brings uh, almost 30 years of experience of system engineering on man and unmanned aerial platforms. So my challenge was probably different than his challenge. Um, but you know, we, we're doing mistakes together. The first rule of startups is there's no rules whatsoever. So that's the first thing that you had to change coming from a military background, coming from an academic background. Everything's in some kind of guidelines. There's a book, there's a manual, there's a rule, there's a structure. I think you have to throw that all out the window when you come into a startup and say, look, I need to achieve something and I don't have all of the standard things in place. How can I achieve it? And I have to think outside the box because if I think inside the box, Everybody else is doing that, so I won't really have a competitive edge. So it's really challenging everything that you've learned so far. Exactly. So I have my milestones, and we need to hit the milestones, and I'll do whatever it takes. I mean, as long as it's legal and everything. Of it's, uh, um, but, I mean, the fact that there is no rules just helps me to um, understand what to do because I can do anything. Uh, I just need to think about the right way to do it. I'm sure with the experience, with the fantastic team you have behind you, the wonderful products and the, the, the impactful space that you're in, you have a very bright future and we'll be watching you to see how you guys go on. Thank you. Thank you, Nimrod. So, just such cool entrepreneurs on today's program. I love this. I was so happy to see people that were inspiring with their dreams, with their new technologies that they had developed in their brain, right? They come up with this concept. They were quite far-fetched and something that didn't exist today. And they've, they've gone out, they've developed them, they've broken through barriers and hurdles. Some of these over huge amounts of time that they've been developing that, a real inspiration to the entrepreneurs out there. This episode, I think, was really great because we had a little bit of everything. We have some futuristic flying cars. We have some altruistic flying drones, essentially emergency rescue service drones or autonomous vehicles, if you will. And then we've got my gluttonous favorite, which is the 3D menu. I think we touched on a little bit of everything in this episode, which I kind of like it. Yeah, me also. And, and, you know, it's great to just see what they're creating out there. It's so inspiring and it makes you want to get up and invent something. Yes, absolutely. For our next episode, 
we'll see some other very interesting companies. There is somebody who can actually probably connect with one of our last guests. They create a radar detection for drones. As you may have heard recently, some of the airports have been compromised by people flying drones in there. So this is a 3D patented radar detection system, which is very important to date. We also go and see somebody who's innovating in the aeronautics uh, sector. So they have an incubator there funded by JetBlue and LL Airlines that they invest in new airline technology. So, you know, you think of airplanes as the least innovative devices that we have. They don't really evolve that quickly. But this is somebody who's really focused on that area. And we also go to see company that is protecting you against car hackings so i'm actually going to be driving a connected car there's going to be a hacker on the seat next to me they're going to be hacking into the car wirelessly and taking out some of the functions the gas the brakes and other things super scary but fun experience that is super scary but then if you think about it so many cars are you know when where we once turned to mechanics for cars now we're turning to computers and i think that when you have a car that is so technologically advanced that it could fly, but beyond that, I mean, you have voice recognition, you have it playing your music, you have it mapping your directions, you have sometimes instead of gears, you just have buttons. And so mm -hmm. when everything is turning more technological and less mechanic, I think one of the best ways to protect yourself is to really have that anti-hacker software, the defense system. It's, it should be in the ABCs of driving an electric car. Absolutely. I mean, with millions of connected cars today, it just becomes so relevant and so needed. Imagine having a computer without Norton antivirus back in the day. It wouldn't last very long. So 100% exciting lineup and keep listening to hear them on our next episode. Tune in. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. You may also visit us at electrocast.com. The Tech Talk podcast is a co-production of Tech Talk Media and Electrocast Media. Executive producers are myself, Johnny Kaplan, Ronald Hans, Mark Netta, and Peter Rafelson. Special thanks to our associate producer, Sienna Jackson, our podcast recordist, Adam Kleinberg, and our audio editor, Chris Souza. Join us in our next episode where we continue our journey to the world's most amazing startups to bring you one step closer to our incredible new technological evolution. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all times? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric acid. Electric acid. Electric acid.
Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.